All right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Stop being friendly. Sit down. Listen to me. That's kind of how we have to do it now. Just playing. Just kidding. Not just kidding, though. You got to listen to me. Hey, I'm, my name's Jake, and I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown Church, and so glad to, to be here with all of you guys this morning. Uh, excited to continue a series that we started just last week in the book of 1 Peter, and uh, I'm really enjoying this letter and really looking forward to studying this with all of you uh, over, the, over the course of the fall and maybe even a little bit beyond that. First uh, Peter is a phenomenal letter. It's, it's written by the Apostle Peter, you know, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and it's written to uh, believers that are scattered all over uh, modern-day Turkey. And these believers were encountering uh, all kinds of uh, various trials and suffering. In fact, that's a key theme in the book of First Peter, the word suffering shows up 17 times, and it's uh, five chapters. And so uh, we're going to be talking a bit about suffering, and Peter has a lot to say about this topic. But, you know, that means that you're in for uh, a happy message this morning. So welcome, welcome to Midtown. Let's talk about pain and suffering. I know this is a topic that none of us really enjoy talking about, because if you are suffering, then you don't want to come on Sunday and hear something to remind you about the stuff that you're going through right now, and I, I really get that. And if you're not suffering, then you don't want to come on a Sunday and hear about the topic of suffering that makes you think that perhaps one day you will be suffering. And so I, I, I get that. I know that that's hard, but here's the thing. In our culture, especially in Western secular culture, we don't see anything good that can come from suffering. Suffering for us is just viewed as pure tragedy and something to be avoided at all costs. In other cultures, especially like in Eastern religions, most of them see uh, suffering as as an illusion. It's not real, and they just kind of deny the fact that it's happening. And then other religions see suffering as a result of of uh, not, uh, uh, let's say, it's a result of disappointing a God that's very hard to please, and that suffering is a punishment from him as a result of not keeping his you know, standards or, or rules or jumping through the right, right hoop. But man, Christianity sees suffering in a completely different light. In the Bible, we, we are told that there is a good purpose for suffering, though that rubs against our Western secular understanding of it, right? We say, man, there's nothing good that can come from it. But the Bible says there's good purposes for suffering. And there is hope and comfort to be found within our suffering. And what Peter writes to the believers that are spread throughout Turkey and then eventually to us today, it's really helpful if we would have ears to hear what he has to say, what God really has to say to us about this hard topic of suffering. Um, For in God's word, we're told that suffering is real and that we should grieve. And yet while we grieve, we can also maintain, and this is a hard word to hear perhaps connected to suffering, but we can actually maintain joy for there's good and a loving purpose for it and hope and comfort to found within it. So we're going to talk about that this morning. So if you will, open up your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to pick up where we left off last week. Uh, Jamie left off at verse 5. We're going to pick up in verse 6 and go through verse 12. And as we do, I'm going to point out three things. If you want to follow along with me with some notes, you can follow along. These are kind of the big points. The first is that the presence of suffering. The second is the good potential of suffering. And the third is how to persevere while suffering. All right, let me read this for us again. First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 6. It says this, 
In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. And the things that they have now been announced uh, to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. God, sometimes what you say in here is is hard to hear because it's so different than what we think uh, in our culture. And yet, God, that's another reason why we're so thankful for it, because we want to come to these truths on our own. We need you to show, show us these. Lord, give us uh, your grace to hear it, what you have to say here, and receive it with joy. Lord, may we trust you more as a result of what you have to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so the first thing I want to uh, touch on in the message is just this idea of the presence of suffering. If you notice in verse 6, Peter addresses the fact that believers that he's originally writing to are going through like these various trials, Right? Later on in the book of 1 Peter in chapter 4, he's going to say it this way. He says, and this is very blunt, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. He's saying, hey, no, you, and he's saying to us, we shouldn't be surprised when we undergo some suffering. We shouldn't be surprised by the presence of suffering because it's, it's a part of life. And to not be prepared for suffering is to not be prepared for life. It just happens. And again, in our culture, for some reason, we, we can like naively buy into this idea that if, if I just live the right way and I make the right choices and I do the right things, then I can avoid suffering. And all of us in, in Western America, really, we are so shocked when we suffer. It's funny, when you talk to other people from, from uh, other cultures, they'll, they'll point out that we are just so shocked when we suffer. It's weird to them. It's like we don't expect it, and yet they know the contrary. They know to, it's to be expected. Now, certainly, you, you can make good decisions. You can make wise choices, and that will help you avoid a lot of suffering in life. But no amount of right choices, no amount of good living will ever keep you from ever suffering. You want proof of that? See Jesus Christ, right? I mean, completely perfect, the very wisdom of God. God in human form, perfectly man, perfectly God, and yet suffered to the most extreme. Friends, we shouldn't be, survive, uh, we shouldn't be surprised by the presence of suffering. We need to be prepared for it. How do we respond when we suffer? Because the sad truth, one of the sad truths that I've come to realize in the, the, the years that I've been a pastor is this, that either every single person, every single person's room fits one of three categories, if not in a, boat, a, a number of them. And those three categories are this, that you're either just coming out of a time of hard suffering, you're in one right now, or you will be in one shortly. 
So let's not be surprised by that. Let's prepare to know how to handle that. Now, that probably makes sense to us that it's not surprising to say that that's going to happen and we should be prepared for that. That might not be too hard to wrap our mind around. But there is one thing that Peter says in verse 6 that might be harder to wrap our mind around. And I, I, I want to I point it out to us uh, a little bit uh, delicately, but nevertheless, I want to point it out to us. And, and that's this, that not only uh, is, is suffering to be uh, expected, but friends, sometimes suffering is actually a necessity. I mean, look what he says in verse 6. Though now for a little while, if necessary, look at that word, you have been grieved by, a ver- by various trials. If you're like me, you, you hear that and you think, if necessary, according to whom, right? Because if you're asking me, suffering is never necessary. I'm doing just fine without suffering. In fact, I'm doing great if the suffering would just stay away from me. So, so why in the world would you say this, Peter? Like necessary, according to whom? But Peter is saying that trials happen not just because, friends, not just because we live in a broken world. He's saying uh, trials and grief come into our life and suffering comes into our life because uh, there are times that we need it. Oh, I know that's hard to hear, right? Put another way, uh, he's saying that God and all of God's wisdom and, and love and his stated purpose of maturing us in our faith and making us more like his son, building us within us Christ-likeness, sometimes uses various painful trials to refine us and to grow us. But why in the world would he do that? Well, the reason that God would do that, one of maybe many, is this. That God knows that there's good potential in our suffering. There's good potential in our suffering. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, you have, or if I pick up in the middle of verse 6, it says, you have been grieved by various trials so that, and that's a purpose statement, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so the image in this verse is gold that's being refined uh, through the heat of fire. And he is saying that just as gold that goes through fire becomes something greater, something more pure, that your faith, when refined by fire, or in this sense, the analogy is refined by suffering, your faith is also made something greater, something even pure. Um, he makes a brief point that says that, okay, that, yeah, faith is even more important than gold, right? Because faith is going to, I mean, gold is going to perish, but faith will never perish. It will last forever. But the analogy is this, that, that uh, our, our, the gold is equal to our faith. It's likened to our faith. And the fire or the furnace, however you want to see it, is likened uh, to our sufferings. Now, in, in what way? Well, I don't know a lot about uh, goldsmithing. I don't even know if you call it that, right? But, uh, you know, golds, uh, I'll go with that. Um, 
I don't know a lot about that, but I know just enough, I think, to explain the metaphor that, or analogy that um, Peter's using here. And that's this, that like when you put gold into a fire, the, the fire doesn't destroy the gold. It actually, uh, you know, li- it makes it more liquid to where all of the impurities within the gold would come to the surface so that the goldsmith or whatever you call that person can skim off the impurities off the top of the gold and make the gold even more pure, right? That's how that works. Well, friends, suffering does the same thing for us. If you've suffered, then you perhaps have noticed this, that as you suffer, all of these impurities in your faith rise to the surface. See, we all say that we believe in God. If you're a Christian, you say you believe in God. If you're a Christian, you say you believe in the gospel. You're trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sins, that he's your hope, that he's your justification, that in God, that's where you find your security and that's where you find, you know, all your value and acceptance. We say that we believe all those things, but man, if you're like me, then functionally, you don't often live that way. And we have all of these impurities in our faith, which is not to say that you don't have true saving faith. That's a different topic. It's just in our faith in God, we have all of these other things that we also are really trusting in, oftentimes even more than we're trusting in Him. And then we look to our job to be our security, or we look to our relationships to be where we find our true worth and acceptance. And we look to what we accomplish to be a thing that justifies us. And even though you say you believe that God is the one who does all that, you functionally don't live that way. I functionally don't live that way. But man, when you suffer, when I suffer, that stuff comes to the surface. And you recognize all these things that I've been trusting in instead of God. Because oftentimes the thing that you're suffering in are things you're suffering because you were trusting in something else other than him. Or the reason it hurts to such a degree is because you had something that was taken away from you that was not just a good thing, but was a God thing to you. And now you really suffer. God's showing you that. He's bringing those impurities to the surface as you pass through the fire of the suffering so that he can skim it off and make turn your faith into pure gold. This, uh, this last year was a really hard year for me in a lot of different ways. Um, one of them was that uh, uh, some stuff that happened with Midtown Church, uh, namely with my uh, really good friend, one of my best friends, Adam Bronson. See, Adam and I, uh, we dreamed since my freshman year of college to planting uh, what would eventually be known as Midtown Church. For then, at that time, when we were dreaming about it 15 years ago, it was just a church plant somewhere in central Austin, close to the campus as a part of the Hill Country Bible Church Association. We dreamed about that. We talked about that my, my summer before my freshman year in college. That was our dream. And then 15 years later, we were working on staff at a church together, Hill Country Bible Church, Pflugerville, and the elder board said, hey, we want to plant you two together, and we want to send you to Central Austin near the campus to start a church as a part of Hill Country Bible Church Association. And we were, minds were blown, and we're like, man, we are living the dream. Like, living the dream. Like, this is a dream come true. And just so excited about that. And our, our, our families, and, you know, started coming along with it. They were, they were on board with us, thankfully. And then our friends jumped in with us, and we started planting Midtown Church. It was amazing. We're so excited about that. This time last year, one year into it, in fact, September 8th is the, is the two-year anniversary of Midtown Church. Um, sort of. It's kind of weird now, but let's just say. So the, uh, anyways, this time last year, 
We've been at it for a year. And Adam comes to me and says, hey, Jake, I just got to let you know, that, like, God's doing something and it's weird and it's surprising to me, but I'm really feeling like I'm not a good fit in a pastor position here. And I think God's moving me to want to take a career change and become a nurse. Man, that was such a surprise to me. Man, I never saw it coming. Adam and I were like, you know, shoulder to shoulder in planning this church, been dreaming about it for 15 years. And then one year in, he's saying, I'm, gonna, I'm, ha- I'm stepping out. I'm stepping down as a pastor. And last Sunday, this past Sunday, was actually his last Sunday for him and his family to be a part of our church. And they've moved up north and he's doing school. And man, I was just shocked. And I went, I was grieving. And I went through a couple of months of deep depression. It shook me. It shook me because I realized at that time, though I didn't know it before that time of suffering, but I realized what God was showing me was that, man, I had so much hope placed in Adam Brunson. My hope for the, for like success, health of our church, so much of it was put into people and namely into Adam Brunson. Then I also found out through that time that I had such a weird idea of what success and health of a church looked like and that I was putting so much of my justification, my worth, my sense of value and how well the church did. And so through Adam's statement, which was a fiery trial for me, God was showing me that I was hoping more in people and I was trusting more in success than I was in him and what he's done for me in Christ. And it was incredibly painful. And yet I am so thankful for what he was teaching me through that. I hope that I'm learning it. (laughs) I hope that I've been learning it, but I'll tell you, I would not have learned it. I would not have even noticed it if it wasn't for the fiery trial of Adam leaving. Friends, that's what suffering can do. That's a part of the good potential in suffering. And if you will persevere through suffering, God will use it to raise the impurities of your faith to the surface that he can remove it and make your faith like gold, like pure gold, where you're trusting him fully. And that is a big deal to God. Oh man, our faith is a big deal to God. I think Peter in this passage is saying, hey, your, your faith, it's, it's worth more than gold. And it's not just that it's worth more than gold to us or that it ought to be worth more than gold to us. But he's saying it's worth more to gold than God. Like this is incredible worth. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that without faith, it's impossible to please God, which means with faith, you can please God. It's pleasing to God. In fact, what Peter goes on to say in verse, at the end of verse 7 is really astounding. He says, look, look at what he says. He says, uh, your faith in context says, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, what a crazy statement this is, because here it is. Most Bible commentators, most Bible scholars, they can't agree or they can't say for sure Is Peter saying that your faith is going to result in praise and glory and honor for Jesus when Jesus returns? Or is it going to result in praise and honor and glory for you from the mouth of Jesus when Jesus returns? And friends, I think that Peter is purposefully ambiguous here because I think both are true. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. But with faith, you please God. And Jesus is so incredibly pleased. 
That when we haven't seen him yet, though we haven't seen him, we love him and we hold fast to him even in the midst of our suffering. That when he returns and he sees you and you've been holding on to him, your faith has been made more pure through the suffering, he's going to applaud you. He's going to praise that that honors him. And friends, it also goes towards him because when you hold on to him in the midst of your suffering and your, your friends who are looking into your life, Christians or non-Christians, see you holding on to God even when you would have reason to bail, they think, man, why in the world are you doing that? And it speaks to the value of Christ and the trustworthiness of Christ. And that brings glory and honor and praise to Jesus as well. It works both ways. It's faith is greater worth than pure gold. Suffering will make your faith like pure gold. That's what Peter is saying here. In fact, if you will persevere in your faith, just quickly, let me give you four more good potential outcomes that can happen through suffering if you persevere. The first is this. It will humble you and give you far more knowledge than you've ever, of your, far more self-knowledge than you had before. And that is of great worth. The second thing is this. It will teach you not to idolize and overinvest your heart in many things. You'll be freer and happier because you won't be depending on circumstances or ever-changing things for you to be all right. The third thing is this. It will greatly enhance your intimacy with and dependence on God's great love and presence. And the fourth is this. If it will make you far more wise, compassionate, and just generally more useful in the lives of others, especially in the lives of those who are suffering. Because you've been there you understand, and you can help. Because these are good God is telling us here and let it go work against what our culture tells us. There's nothing good that can come from suffering. Avoid it at all costs. And I'm certainly not saying leap into it. Go seek it out. That's dumb. Don't do that. But at least when it comes into your life, don't see it as a tragedy only. It can be tragedy. And in fact, I'll get into that in a second. But see that there can be a necessity for it. And that God has a good purpose for it. And he's going to make you into pure gold through it if you persevere. But how in the world do you persevere, right? I mean, that's good. Maybe you're following me up to this point. You can see the presence of, the presence of suffering. And you can see that there could be a good potential of suffering. But let's just say it comes in your life. How in the world can you possibly persevere through it? How do you persevere while suffering? Well, there's three things I want to point out. Try to do it kind of quickly from this text in regards to uh, what three things that we, we need to do, ways we should respond when we find ourselves going through uh, various trials that are producing great grief. And the first thing is you need to grieve. You need to grieve. That's the first way you need to respond. You see, there, there is, I've been talking about, you know, lies within culture that we're having to push up against, this idea there's no purpose in suffering. That's but there's some stuff that's within the church, and I don't know how long you maybe have been in the church and how much you've been exposed to this, but there is some stuff in the church that seems to say that because we believe that God is good and because there is good purpose in suffering, then you have to receive suffering with some kind of, of joy that looks past the grief, that you have to receive it with a stiff upper lip, that you got to act like you're okay even when your world's falling apart. And man, I can't tell you how terrible that is. And in this room, and when you're with your MC, man, that has no place 
We do not act as if our world is fine when our world is falling apart because that's more holy or more righteous. Oh my goodness, no. Read the Bible, friends. What do you see? You see the cries of the sufferers resounding forth throughout the entire Bible. Read the Psalms. Read Job. Job, the most terrible stuff happens to him. What's he do? He, he rips his clothes. He shaves his head. He falls on the ground and he cries out against God. He says some crazy things against God. And what's God say at the end of the book? He says, Job, Job you've been faithful. You think, what? How has he been faithful? Did, God, did you not hear what some of the stuff he said? God knows that Job came to God, Job came to God with his grief. He didn't run from God. He came to God with a grief. And God says, that's faithfulness. Read Job, read Psalms, read Jeremiah. Listen to Jesus hanging on the cross. The cries of the sufferers resound even from the cross. Friends, if you're going through hard times, grieve, grieve. It's hard. It's painful. The word in chapter 6, I mean, verse 6 here, for, for grief is a word for agonizing pain. Peter does not call out those that he's writing to for their grief and the various trials to say, hey, stop that. Stop grieving. He doesn't say that. It's okay. Grieve when it hurts, hurt. And go to God and go to your church family for help and for comfort. Grief, it's okay. That's a good thing. Respond that way. But don't just grieve. Also rejoice. And I know that sounds very oxymoronic. <laughs> Those things don't go together. But look at verse 6. This is what he says. In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. It's interesting that the word rejoice here and the word grieve here are both in the present tense. Peter is saying, hey, while you grieve, also rejoice. In fact, right now we're rejoicing even while we're grieving is what he's saying. Well, what in the world can make that possible? Friends, I, I don't know anything that can make that possible outside of the gospel. But that's exactly what Peter ties this to. In fact, his statement, in this you rejoice, is his summary of one through five, what Jamie taught on last week, these verses one through five, which Peter just lays out the gospel in just this incredible detail and just says, like, we're rejoicing because this is true. And friends, because the gospel is true, we can rejoice even when we grieve, even when it doesn't feel like God cares, even when it doesn't feel like God is there, even when it doesn't feel like God loves you, you remember the gospel and you're reminded that God does care that God is there and God does love you. I mean, Peter just laid it out right here. This is what he had just talked about, verses 1 through 5. It says, um, you were foreloved, you were chosen to be his, that he has sent his spirit to set you apart, that Christ has died for you, covering your sin, forgiveness with his blood, forgiving you of your sins, that you have been born again to a living hope, that you've been adopted to the very family of God, and that you have been given, promised a future inheritance with him that cannot be lost. And friends, that is true. And we can rejoice in that even while we grieve. 
you can know that's true even when it does not feel true. Um, yesterday, uh, we, yesterday would have been the one-year birthday of my niece, uh, Annabelle. Uh, my sister, Kaylee, and her husband, Sebastian, um, has their first child, a sweet baby girl, on September 5th of last year. Uh, she was born blind and with lots of other complications, including not being able to breathe on her own. She spent almost every single day of her life in a NICU, and on December 15th, she passed away. Like I said, it was a hard year last year. <laughs> but man, not near as hard for me as it was for my sister and her husband. I just can't imagine. And there was grief. The whole family grieved, and there were tears, so many tears. And yet, the day, the day after Annabelle passed away, uh, Kaylee posted this on her Facebook page. Our sweet Annabelle Olive went to meet Jesus yesterday. As heartbroken as Sebastian and I are, hear this. We rejoice and we find so much comfort in knowing that her struggles here on earth are over and that she has a new perfect body in heaven. The first face that she ever saw was Jesus's. And it, and it can't get any better than that. Friends, that's what it looks like to be able to rejoice in the midst of your grief. And that's only possible because the gospel is true. So you can only rejoice in the midst of your various trials if you're remembering verses 1 through 5. That's why it's helpful to know doctrine, doctrine, the, the truth of the gospel, to know that God chose you and loved you and set you apart by his spirit and son died for you, that you would have your sins forgiven and that you've been promised a future hope and inheritance that's unfading and will never go away. And Jesus is, and, and, and Jesus is promised that and Kaylee is celebrating in that for her daughter on the day after her passing. Friends, because this is true, this is why I can sit here and teach this on a stage in Austin, Texas, or a stage in New York, or a stage in Syria, or a stage in Iraq. That no matter what we're going through as Christians, as brothers and sisters, we can still grieve the pain and the brokenness of this world, and we can still see the good potential of it, and we can still rejoice because the gospel is true. The word here for rejoice found in verse 6 and verse 8, it's, it literally means this, friends. It literally means much leaping. <laughs> Isn't that wild? It literally means much leaping. And, and, and the same root word shows up in Acts chapter 3. 
When Peter and John, if you're familiar with the story, Peter and John are walking by the temple and they see a man that's, that's lame, been lame from birth and he's begging for money. And Peter, the Peter the, who's written this letter that we're studying right now, Peter turns to him and he says this. He says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand. He raised him up and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And hear this, and leaping, there's the word, and leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking, and here it is again, walking and leaping and praising God. And I wonder, friends, I wonder if Peter had that man in mind when he wrote this. In this, though, in the midst of trials, we rejoice. In this, even though we grieve, we also have reason for much leaping, for much leaping, Because though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The gospel is true. We have reason to leap much. We have reason to rejoice. But friends, we will only do that. We will only do that if we do this last last thing. And that is if we look intently at the good news of Jesus. Look what he says, verses 10 through 12. Let me read it again. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to him that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that they have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things in which angels long to look. And in this, Peter is just saying this. He's saying that uh, the prophets in the Old Testament, they longed to see the day of Christ. And they spoke of that day. And they longed to see that day. But they recognized that they weren't going to see that day. They were prophesying on our behalf. And then later he'll talk about how the, whole, the, the, that, uh, the angels in heaven longed to look into the gospel. And that also is in present tense, meaning that the gospels, the, I mean, the angels can... Uh, still to this day, are peering in, looking intently at the gospel, at what Jesus has done for us and the ramifications, the subsequent glories that are to come where people are one to himself and redeemed and all that's broken will one day be made whole and right once again. And the angels just can't get their eyes off of this. They're looking intently at what Christ has done, what we, friends, have heard from people through the power of the Holy Spirit and believe to be true. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God himself suffering on our behalf that we could be made right with him. And we need to look intently at that. If you want to persevere through suffering, you got to go back to the cross again and again and again to see your God hanging there on your behalf. To see your God cut off from the Father, to know what it's like to be lost, to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To have God, who he's been his perfect relationship with for all of eternity, to be that, have that severed, to have his body broken, to have his blood spilled so that you, my friends, could one day be forgiven of your sins, when you place your faith in him alone for the forgiveness, for your forgiveness. And so that you one day can know, or you today, if you've already put your faith in Christ, can know that he is walking with you through your fire. 
because he went through the ultimate fire on your behalf so that you can know that you can suffer by his power and through his grace finitely for him because he has suffered infinitely for you. So that you can know the love of our God demonstrated in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. And you can say, my God, my God, you suffered on my behalf. You suffered for me. Now I know you will walk with me through my suffering. And one day, because you suffered for me, you will end all suffering. And so let me grasp onto you, my hope, my Savior, my God. If you do that, if you look intently at him, you will persevere. You can grieve and you can rejoice and you will be moved to persevere. And God will use your suffering to turn you into pure gold.